So hi, Blake. Hey, Serge. Um, so this is a bit of an unusual conversation if you're listening to it. Normally, uh, I interview people. In this case, uh, it's really the reverse. And Blake is going to be mostly the interviewer in this conversation. Uh, Blake is education director for the Polyvagal Institute. All right, thanks, Serge, and thanks for the uh, opportunity and honor to to step into this role and to for trusting me in the reverse <laughs> from your <laughs> usual role of being the host. Um, so happy to be here today. Um, so today we're talking about polyvagal informed mindfulness. Um, and part of that conversation, I think, is kind of distinguishing, you know, what is mindfulness and what are these other um, embodied practices or what is meditation? So where where are we for those that maybe are trying to differentiate or distinguish across mm. those? Well, how would you describe what we're talking about today as mindfulness? Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, it's great to to start with this. Um, for many people, the word mindfulness is synonymous with meditation. And when they say I practice mindfulness, it means I have a meditation practice, or I don't practice mindfulness often enough, or I don't practice it at all, is I don't have a meditation practice. And by all means, I love meditation, I practice meditation, uh, and uh, I value meditation. But I think it's really, uh, mindfulness goes beyond meditation. There's a, I think of mindfulness within the, the context of this discussion as something that is um, a property, a characteristic, a state of human beings. Hmm. And, and that's the focus uh, that I would like to bring it in this um, conversation. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is, is more of a state. Um, meditation, it, it's, it's more of a, like an act. Yes, more of a, a practice, some might say. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, as in everything, uh, there is a danger in creating categories that are too mm. sharply delineated. <laughs> because, for instance, what does practice mean? Mm. Uh, practice could mean practicing, as in I practice the violin, which is different from playing it in concert. But on the other hand, practice uh, also, in certainly in the context of meditative traditions, is I am very much in it. And, and you could say that my life is my practice. So I don't want to be, you know, prisoner of words and categories that are too sharply delineated. Uh, but simply to say that uh, um, I think that there's more to mindfulness than limiting it to what happens in a meditation practice. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's more, it's embodied. And that's what we're talking about. Things that are embodied today, right? And the very mm -hmm. act of giving language to it is kind of, um, the word that comes to mind is antagonistic to that, but, but almost just the, it's the top down versus right. The bottom up. Yeah. 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 
and maybe it seems appropriate to share with people mm. um, that you and I, before going into this conversation, took a moment to go inside and pay attention to mm. what was happening inside uh, in the presence of each other. So that I went into paying attention to what was happening in my body, letting it unfold a bit. You did that. Uh, we noticed what happened to each of us individually, to both of us. And we noticed how it drew us um, more into a place that feels connected, mm. uh, connected inside, connected with each other, and connected with the idea of sharing something with people. Mm. And this feels very much like what we're talking about. That's a topic of the day. Absolutely. Yeah, I had appreciated that moment that we had um, because it really got gave us the opportunity to move into that space. Mm -hmm. And my experience in that, in that settling for us was that um, all of this, however it unfolds, is is very human and what we're talking about today is very human in nature um the uh, the understanding of the polyvagal theory can very much be this kind of top down right but it invites us into the bottom up i often think yeah 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 so a lot of the words you use um Mm. feel very appropriate to describe the experience and the concepts we're talking about. And for instance, at some point you said to move into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, there is that sense of movement, of fluidity, of being in a certain state and going into a different state. Mm-hmm. Um, and moving into a state that mindfulness is a state. And I think that uh, maybe that might be if not the key point, certainly one of the biggest points that uh, comes to me if I think about what is polyvagal informed mindfulness is that with polyvagal theory, there is a notion that mindfulness is a state Mm -hmm. um, and a self-state. And so now I... I feel I need to stop. Like I, I, I brought myself into. I probably went too fast in terms mm. of getting there. That my intention was to come to to that point more gradually. Mm. Okay. So, so if you listen to this and you know you know you're familiar with the polyvagal theory, then what I say will seem totally okay. Sure. If you're less familiar with it, uh, it might be strange. Okay. So should we walk the our friends that are listening that maybe are not as familiar with it um, to join the rest of us who might already be understanding it fully and able to connect mindfulness and polyvagal theory? How would you, what is the brief, I guess, on polyvagal theory and how that relates to yeah. mindfulness? Yeah, no, that feels good. That feels good. So just uh, okay. that sense of walking back. And so <laughs> walking back to what polyvagal means. Hmm. So polyvagal refers to the vagus nerve. Mm. 
And what Stephen Porges discovered is that the vagus nerve, instead of just representing one circuit, in fact represents two circuits. So that's all that polyvagal means literally is uh, one nerve, two circuits. Mm. Um, now, how it's different from classical theory that all of us learned in high school is a system that autonomic nervous system, we, we were told has two circuits. One is called sympathetic and is fight or flight. So everybody knows about fight or flight. There's a danger, tremendous energy for survival and you know, punch somebody in the face or be able to run away. All the energy, all the focus, all the intensity. Yeah, we know that. Mm. Um, what we learned is that there was also another branch of the autonomic nervous system called parasympathetic. And that is where the other gives this boost of energy, the other tones down the energy. And so we were told, you know, this is what allows you to actually digest, go to sleep, you know, rest, all of these different things. So great. Uh, and so from that place came what people call the window of tolerance, the good place in the middle, like in the story of the three bears, um, it's not too hot, not too cold, but just right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of where we would put mindfulness. A little bit like if you have a hot water tap, a cold water tap, you put a little bit of each, you find the right temperature, and that's what it is with two circuits. Sure. Yeah, and so the polyvagal theory it invites this nuance, I guess, or this, this um, what I think we, a lot of us know intuitively, and what we are taught is maybe in conflict and maybe we don't realize this when I learned that kind of antagonistic model, maybe I didn't think about like this, fit, this doesn't fit with my life. But then when you learn about polyvagal theory, you're like, oh, this, this explains that, for example, like the Goldilocks soup or the, the medium temperature water or the, you know, the happy balanced place. Right. Because then how do you fit that with parasympathetic or sympathetic, right? Fight or flight or rest and digest. I mean, maybe more the rest and digest, but then how do you explain the moments of activation, of energy, of dance, of joy? It almost feels like it doesn't quite fit. And so this kind of oh. invites. No, it doesn't fit. And so, and, and it's one of those things where, uh, you know, we separate our experience, especially people who have mindfulness practice and have the mm. idea that mindfulness is something you engage in and it grows when you engage in it. So it really doesn't fit that model of the, the two, uh, you know, hot and cold water. But you separate that from what is scientific because we value the experience, we value science. And so we kind of yep. shut down when they're in contradiction or not, not connecting. But what the polyvagal brought in is that there is this third circuit that is actually a circuit of social engagement. And I like to think of it as mindful engagement. Mm. So obviously, Steve Porges called it social engagement because it's the, the circuit that mediates all of the fine distinctions between, say, uh, noticing um, uh, facial uh, 
approach, voice, all the signals that allow you to understand and connect with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they're also, of course, mindful signals, because this is a moment where you slow down, you pay attention to the nuances. So this is the moment where your attention is really engaged in paying attention to fine distinctions, as opposed to, is this a threat? And all my energy goes there and I have to only one goal, which is to survive. This is about, ah, mm, mm. And, and just representing it. You know, you notice my hand movement, it's more of that kind of dance. And it has the quality of say, uh, you, t- you take a piece of clay and you touch it and you, mo- you, you model it. So there is a, there is kind of a, um, a tactile element to it of being present and engaged mm-hmm. and dancing with it, dancing with experience and fashioning it and shaping it as you dance with it. Mm. So it, it's, yeah, it's a dance or a flow kind of state. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think when I hear mindfulness, often I think about what is within our awareness. I think of I think of the mind and I think of the mind being able to be mindful or to observe or be aware, right? Things that are in our conscious, like consciousness. Um, how, you know, is this all conscious? Is it not? Where's the, well? what's, what's unique wanna, about polyvagal theory with I that? Want, I want to go back okay. before going into conscious or not to the first yeah. part of what you were saying. You say, you know, when I, I think about this, I think about mindfulness. Mm. I think about mind observing. And 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 so uh, what you're doing is typical of all of us. Mm. Try to define mindfulness mm. in words or from logic. And uh, the amazing, wonderful thing about polyvagal theory is it says there is a circuit. And this social engagement circuit is a circuit of mindfulness. So suddenly you no longer have to rely on logic and inference and say, oh, mindfulness is blah, blah, blah. But you can really say mindfulness is what happens when Mm -hmm. that particular circuit is engaged. Mm -hmm. You know, and so fight flight is what happens when that specific sympathetic circuit is engaged. Mindfulness happens when the mindful engagement circuit or social engagement circuit is engaged. And so uh, then it becomes an observation of what happens in that state, Mm. you know, which is bottom up, as opposed to a top down postulating of what mindfulness could be or should be. And so that's why polyvagal theory gives us an embodied approach to what mindfulness is. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's our, it's our way of logicking, <laughs> using our logic to be able mm-hmm. to invite the bottom up, to invite that third circuit, the ventral vagal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, well, we need it. A lot of us need that, right? We live in a world where we're often in language and analysis and evaluation and all of that, like very left brain world. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is, um, I think of 
polyvagal theory is like a an invitation to that those to those in that world to the other world <laughs> or to the yeah. other side for yeah. way of living yeah okay. yeah and it puts a biological language to it because mm-hmm. otherwise um the language is oh you live too much on your head mm-hmm. you know uh which is a judgmental language sure. which then uh leads to a trap because how could i not live in my head and uh, and and really the concept there is okay so um mindfulness is what happens if i'm in that circuit am i in that circuit well with some degree of literacy and polyvagal mindfulness you know basic literacy with it there's the idea of if i am in you know there's three circuits and they're going to each have a different physical experience mm. you know and that experience is really simple because it's related to how it happens in evolutionary terms mm. uh the fight flight circuit is something where you're facing survival and the primary focus is survival so it's going to be that narrow focus on survival and that boost of energy Mm-hmm. so if you find yourself being somewhat rigid and full of energy in some way or another whether it's productive or not even if it's turned inwards then it's giving you a sense of where you are the polyvagal theory says that when you cannot solve problems that way um there's a collapse that's a dorsal vagal mm. and so you find yourself low energy sprawling on the bed yawning um mental fog all of these different things ah that's where i am okay so it's something that both you and an outside observer can notice mm-hmm. and in contrast you find yourself in a place where there is energy that is either calm or productive or engaged there is you know for instance connecting uh being able to look at people in the eye not necessarily fixity you know it could be looking around but essentially not avoidance uh you know connecting connecting without being disconnected from self which includes for instance the capacity to take a pause and say hmm what am i doing right now is this right is this what i meant ah maybe i meant something a little different reconnect mm-hmm. so the engagement like presence is not some kind of a mystical quality it's something that you can notice and others can observe okay so so polyvagal theory gives us that framework for noticing where we are and to shift you know of being say in fight flight mm. to coming down to a more ventral vagal engaged mindful place mm-hmm. and gives us a map to be able to see signals yeah of these different states and how does the this third circuit the ventral vagal how does it relate to the these other kind of parts of the nervous system that you're talking about like you know you mentioned a kind of shutdown state and the fight or flight state how do how does how do those exist with or without the vagus or the ventral vagus 
So um, the what the what uh, Stephen Porges discovered is that um, the different circuits evolved sequentially, mm. in, you know, over the long, long period of evolution. And more primitive creatures started with the dorsal vagal, which functions essentially as a brake to mediate interaction. Um, function, or if it's too much, shut down. Then came the sympathetic, which allowed to do more than simply shut down, but actually mobilize energy to deal with threat, fight or flight. And then came the ventral vagal, which allows for much, much more discrimination and subtlety. And so in life, we actually experience them in the reverse order. Um, the default mode in interaction is to face things through the most modern, most up-to-date, most sophisticated system, mindful engagement. Mm. And that's how we try to deal with things. When our nervous system perceives that it's not adequate to the task, or when, say, triggers tell us that this won't work based on past experience, we automatically shift to the sympathetic. And so it's kind of more of that survival energy and, you know, go into action to survive. And last, when all else fails, dorsal. So these are separate states. But there is a wonderful thing, you know, a question about how do they function together mm -hmm. is that the ventral vagal state, because it's not just a combination of two faucets, you know, red and blue, but it's something separate, is that it is possible for the ventral vagal state to be engaged at the same time as you're in one of the other states. For instance, say you're in fight flight. So, um, uh, you know, you're in fight flight and maybe there's a tiny part of you that is kind of aware of it, okay? And it is possible by engaging more into the ventral vagal to actually expand the ventral vagal so that it then allows to tone down the activation of the fight flight. So now that seems like a very, very, abstract thing. So I'm going to give you an <laughs> example. example. Ah, okay. Great. <laughs> so, so, so the example is I'm talking to you and I'm angry at you. <laughs> you know, something happens. <clears throat> but there is a part of me, you know, that mindful part that is aware of that say, oh, I'm angry. Okay. And, and maybe that part has also some kind of a database of experience of when I'm angry, I'm not always right. You know, and maybe sometimes I'm triggered and I'm not in reality. So that part is also kind of knowing that, okay? And I can shift a little bit to that part to tell you, you know, Blake, what's happening is I'm angry and I'm angry at you. I'm reacting to you, okay? Mm -hmm. so. When I'm saying that to you, 
I'm no less angry. I'm like, no, 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 kind of still like this, but I might be like, you know, I'm angry, but I also know that I'm angry and I'm sharing that with you. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little different from simply being angry and believing I'm right and having no other explanation. Like if you want a tunnel vision of I'm angry and I'm right and it's the only thing, expands a little bit to I'm angry, but I know I might not be seeing the full reality. Hmm. Okay. And then what might happen is having said that, and I'm noticing that you look at me as a human being, or you smile, or you do something. And then suddenly, you know, it echoes my my mindful part, my ventral vagal part, notices it and says, oh, that's a human being there. From my angry part in fight flight, in, in anger, in survival mode, you know, I realized that I had only seen you as an obstacle, as an enemy, mm. as a danger. But now the ventral vagal noticing that you actually are a human being. Uh, and that information merges because it's like the two are connected. So there is a possibility in the, in the, in the brain to have neural connections. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of breaking down the wall of I'm under attack. Oh, I feel I'm under attack, but there is this person who is a real person in front of me. Maybe it's not, you know, all as clear cut as I thought. And so some of the anger comes down a bit. Okay, so you notice there's because of the possibility of connecting the two circuits, there is the possibility of a broadening of experience, and there is a possibility of integrating the experience of connection sure. and of changing. And so it is then possible that the energy of anger does not disappear, but is channeled towards something different. Okay, And so maybe it then gives me the energy to say, you know, I'm angry, uh, but I want to use that energy to kind of get to the bottom of it. So there is something I hadn't been talking to you about. Maybe let's find a way to talk about it. Okay. And then it becomes a productive boost, you know, to do something instead of being anger that was destructive. It's now being channeled into something that allows us to connect and maybe solve difficult issues. Hmm. The way you just described it makes me think of it. This is like what's coming up for me in terms. It's like an analogy. It it, it feels like this the the ventral vagal circuit is feels more like a muscle than um, this kind of like there not there on off. Right. Hmm. When you, when you said the broadening or the integrating to different parts of your life, it's like it's it can be a, a, a it, it's coming through as a stronger muscle to me, but like it's more present, right. Or it's more available to come or to, to the latency is shorter for it to maybe appear versus, you know, where it might, or how people often describe it as like, you got to find your way back to it. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. You have to find your way to turn it back on. Yeah. Right? But it, it's like a different way of conceptualizing uh, I, if I could say like vagal tone or like, you know, the ventral vagus is that you can strengthen it as it exists and then it will kind of 
expand into other parts or be more readily available versus, you know, have to find it or find, you know, cues or exercises in the moment to get back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you notice how the comparison with the muscle uh, so it's not about to say, well, it's a muscle, but it's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. And that the metaphor gives you the, the idea that a muscle is, you know, it's different states for the muscle. Mm-hmm. It's engaged, it's not engaged, it's strong, it's not, it's how you flex it, it's what you yeah. do with it. Is a, and so, uh, which of course is much, much more, is much closer to the notion of process. You know, it's not like you have a hammer and a screwdriver, and at some point you take the hammer, and the hammer is only a hammer. But the hammer, you know, in this case, the it's not a it's not a tool; it's a process. Hmm. And so the process uh, is going to take different forms depending on how you use it and when you use it. Sure. And that mm-hmm. notion of fluidity. You know, that comes with the muscle, that notion of rippling, that notion of changing shape of, you know, I think I like that concept of, um, you know, fluidity and process. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and so for back to that conscious, what's so conscious and not conscious question, um, how, how much of this is conscious, um, how much of it is not? Yeah. So, you know, the vast majority of our experience is not conscious. Mm. And um, it's a good thing because we simply could not function (laughs) if we had to pay attention to everything we do. So it's not just a question of being efficient. I mean, of course, it's more efficient, but it's feasibility. And so the mechanism of attention is we pay attention to what needs attention. Uh, and uh, and so, uh, you know, that's again, the big picture. That's why I like having that notion of uh, the, what the polyvagal theory does is the polyvagal theory puts the autonomic nervous system within the context of evolution. And so it's not just that, oh, we happen to have these various subsystems, you know, in it, but, We have them because essentially in order to survive through evolution, we needed to face threat effectively. And so there evolved a series of systems within the autonomic nervous system that enable us to confront danger. And so um, danger means if something happens outside, how do I pay attention to it? And then how do I respond effectively? And so obviously we're gonna pay attention to what needs attention. Mm-hmm. And the, what tells us what to pay attention to is the autonomic nervous system. And so a lot of stuff is being paid attention to in an unconscious way. Some things are being paid attention to in a conscious way, but what we do as we develop our ability to be mindful, that is to be in that ventral vagal mode and paying attention to experience, we also increase our ability to be more aware of what is happening below awareness. Sure. And so at that level, 
we become more aware of our functioning. Now, the becoming aware is very different from the concept of controlling. You know, in a, in, in, for some people, uh, it feels very 19th century scientism, you know, that thing of if I pay attention to stuff, it's to control it. Mm -hmm. I can will myself into sleeping better or digesting faster or whatever. Um, but it's really, it, it's a question of becoming aware while not having a direct grip on changing it. Mm. And so what I find amazing and wonderful and mind expanding in the polyvagal theory is that it's an entry point to a sense of what it's like to be human and a sense of what it is that's happening that you don't control, where you might have a possibility of controlling some things, and that the notion of control is not necessarily what you used to think when you think about control. So um, mm -hmm. I, I think of it as a very you know, wonderful thing as a, 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 a gate, a gateway to examining life, you know, like the life examined. And so that's where my excitement is, is to use the polyvagal theory uh, and what it opens up in terms of what mindfulness is and how mindfulness uh, allows us to be in that dance of contemplating life and from that contemplation, what it is that we can change and how we change in doing that. Mm -hmm. What feels um, important here is this, there are a lot of mindfulness or spiritual practices that talk about um, what you do, right? Things, th different things that you do you know, having a seated practice, using breath exercises, making uh, shapes with your body. But, and those practices often have other parts to them that maybe are not as talked about as much. Um, kind of the, the, the values or the principles of the practice. And when I hear you describe it and, and the way you just did, I think of concepts of surrendering or letting go or releasing um, or not being attached or non-attachment versus that that controlling kind of tendency which actually feels a bit more like sympathetic right this like idea of like i want to use ventral vagus so i can hack my life right so i can make sure i have more connections with other people um but when you when you describe it in that way there's really this key element of part of this is is letting go and is not being so attached to the outcome Right. And maybe that actually isn't as much what the ventral vagal is all about. I think that's a wonderful point, you know, that um, uh, in a way it's letting go of the concept of letting go. Mm -hmm. uh, and and how um, if you approach a traditional practice and you have somebody who has had a lot of practice and tells you, yeah, I found a lot of happiness in letting go or in surrendering. Mm -hmm. But you, but you know, what you forget is that they got to their own sense of what letting go means and surrendering based on their practice and experience. And so that word no longer means what it means to other people or what it means to you. Mm 
and they can try to explain it to you in words, but you just don't connect because you don't have that experience. So you try to do the letting go or the surrendering based on what letting go or surrendering means to you. And if you don't have that experience, you simply don't have the roadmap to get there. And so what it is about is to say, okay, I'm going to let go of, you know, some kind of self-imposed concept of, oh, I need to surrender. I need to do this. I need to do that. But I'm going to be with my experience and having that roadmap of what the polyvagal is and noticing, for instance, that when I'm in that grasping mode, okay, I'm not going to judge it as, oh, grasping means greedy, grasping means controlling, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't do that. But I'm going to approach it with that sense of I'm doing this because my whole organism is perceiving a relationship with the environment in which I need to protect myself by having this, okay? Mm. And so already by putting it this way, the mindful engagement is there because it's observing that. Ah, so, oh, it's not just, mm, uh, needs to be, hold on, but yeah, I'm noticing that this is happening, okay? And I'm accepting it because that's what human beings do, okay? Mm. And then the focus becomes, but how can I feel safe? It's not about how can I stop grasping or how can I stop tightening or whatever. It's how can I feel more safe? Okay. Mm. The trial, error, something, progressively feeling safer. Wow, isn't that amazing? Now that I'm safe, I don't know. I no longer need to do that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's a very different roadmap. It is. But but it, one that actually the wise people of old traditions have done in their own way, because again, it's a it's it, they're human beings. They got to that place. They might not describe it in this way, but we have this wonderful roadmap, you know, that allows us in the 21st century, you know, to to do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You were describing this perceiving the environment, right? Of like determining or discerning safety. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a word for that, right? Neuroception. And, yeah. and we are talking today around how like language can limit us, but for the sake of ease and understanding or taking a term away or maybe scaffolding even a lived experience later, what is neuroception? Yeah, so, so a great concept, you know, that uh, Stephen Porges forged uh, is that, you know, how does our organism know that there is a threat so we can say we have an autonomic nervous system to interfere with but how does it you know there's no such thing as sending messages or uh internet connection saying wow look there's a danger you know what in the organism is happening and that's a sensing so uh we have an ongoing sensing process going on and the sensing is oriented towards clues of safety and danger so, um, ah, you know, how does a baby who is a newborn baby know that some people are safe and some are not? You know, again, that's that ability that's there, that's instinctive. Um, you know, you are uh, 
in a place, you know, you're in a library, for instance, reading a book, and you kind of sense a presence behind you. You don't see anything, you don't hear a noise, but somehow you feel your shoulders getting up, your, your neck being more tense. Hmm, what is that? That's a sensing of somebody being there. Um, so we have that ability to, to process, hmm. you know, what's happening there. Sensory information filtered, which then triggers the appropriate circuit. Hmm. And so that's the, the link of um, what the nervous system functions. And so from that perspective, again, big picture is to say, um, we, from the bottom up, not from the top down, it's not an intellectual operation, from the bottom up, mm -hmm. we sense how we fit in the environment. And we find the self-state, the circuit that is appropriate for dealing with it. And then with mindfulness, we can monitor whether that circuit is indeed the appropriate one or whether we were, you know, there were faults in our perception. Hmm. So then we add, you know, we don't have to be limited to it but we have a really strong base when we're aware of what neuroception does, what neuroception is, and we're able to complement it instead of trying to do only through, you know, intellectual cognitive stuff, uh, processing what is actually a wonderful, super sensitive mechanism that's been honed by eons of evolution. And we're in environments that are shifting all the time, that are constantly providing um, things to sense <laughs> that feed that neuroception, right? Or, or that lead to these different states. So, so the, 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 the call for mindfulness seems greater than ever. I think even in, in, in times where people do feel, you know, like they're not, as well or as uh, safe as they have in the past, right? So it's it's hard times for many people. Um, but through this, like, learning what your states are, then there's more you can do, right? To to take care of yourself, you know, trying to respect like not being attached to the results. Right, but what you can do truly to take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, so I want to to expand a little bit on what you say because it's very mm -hmm. rich there. Okay. And so, what I'm hearing is, um, and I agree with, is there is um, a practicality to it. You know, there's this wonderful mechanism we have that's very useful that allows us to truly take care of ourselves, uh, and. Uh, yes, we we need it. We need a lot these days, and paying attention to it is going to be helpful. There's also another aspect to it, 
which is, you know, you can call it spiritual, but, you know, something about having a sense, a larger sense of where we fit and having that sense that this mechanism is something that provides the conduit hmm. where, you know, of how we fit with the universe, how, how the interface, if you want. Uh, and the interface, you know, so that concept is not something about there's a unit as a human being and the universe is out there, but there is an interface that is, you know, a membrane, if you want, um, where there is a permeability and an interconnection and a dance. And so, you know, whether or not you put it in a spiritual context or not, uh, it is a framework for a different sense of experiencing life and the richness to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so that comes back again to, you know, um, when I, I'm enthusiastic for sharing about the polyvagal theory with people, it's not just about the practical stuff and which of course is very interesting, but also about how it opens up uh, the sense of what it's like to be human and not in something that's just uh, an academic way and say putting all kinds of words, but something that as you do it changes your perspective on what it's like to live and, uh, and the quality of your life. Mm. Interface. I really liked that word Yeah, for it. And it's, it's becomes a connection point. Yeah. yeah. It's the access point to exactly what you're speaking to to yeah. what's beyond us, what connects us, what, yeah, the spiritual element to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that sense of, I think of the polyvagal theory as a theory of uh, embodied interaction, mm. you know, approaching life as interaction. And that, um, and that is not the conceptual thing, but it's very much embodied. Mm. recognizing that this is a, again a, a way that's like more practical but for those that are listening that are like huh my you know interest is peaked here how mm -hmm. what's a way in which they can live a little bit more embodied a simple thing they could do so i think um, um a very simple thing to do is to have you know earlier in the discussion i described that very simple um, experience, the difference between the experience of the three states and how it is a, a very distinct experience. Mm. And so to be curious in life mm. about mm, what state am I in? Not from a place of, oh, I think I am this way, I am that way, but just kind of attention to it. And so in order to do that, by the way, it's not just that you get to define what state you're in. But the simple fact of having the curiosity to stay what state am I in and I'm going to observe in directs your attention toward inner experience. You know, and so instead of attention being, you know, in the in the head about, well, I should be this and this and that, you channel it back down to say, what's happening inside? You know, what's happening to my muscles, what's happening to my breathing, what's, you know, and, and so the information then comes from the bottom up. And the material that's processed in your brain 
is not just thought, but is actually bodily information. Mm. And that bodily information is actually coming from the interface with the environment. And it tells you how it's affecting your body. And so you become more aware of, hmm, this is how I am. And this is, I'm in interaction. And this is how interaction is shaping me right now. Mm. Okay. So that's a very, very rich platform to be. I'm mm. also very much encouraging people to talk to people, find a friend, find a small group of friends where you do this together. You know, mm. uh, I think there's a lot that comes out from sharing it. And so I do workshops and I'm going to do one with the Polyvagal Institute and do this kind of stuff. And lots of value from that is about breaking the barrier of isolation with your experience and connecting with other people um, so that you can have that social experience of sharing it and being validated and stimulated by having you know, the view, not just in what happens to you, but putting it in a larger context. Mm. I'm, I'm almost hearing questions like, how am I feeling? Where am I at? And what emerges from those would be this. And the act of asking the question is, is mindful. And yeah. then doing it in community or in inquiry with others is like a, is like a, a leveling up maybe of the mindfulness and the connection element to it. And, and it is mindful by definition because it's happening in the mindful circuit. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, again, in, you know, in a fight flight mode, the attention is directed toward the danger or toward the exit. Okay. Um, in ventral, it's directed toward inside. So mm -hmm. when you put the inquiry into what's happening inside, you're engaging the mindful circuit. That's why it's mindful. It's not by some other definition. Uh, and when you are exchanging information with people, mm, this is what's happening for me, you know, just like mm -hmm. we, we did in that little moment before the talk, mm -hmm. feeling tight, I'm feeling this, you're connecting. Mm. And as you're connecting, you're in an activity that engages the mindful circuit. So that's why it's mindful. You know, it engages the circuit and it helps you go deeper into it. It's going inside. Yeah. yeah. Taking what's inside and then sharing it too. Yeah. Making the next step. Okay. Well, thank you, Serge, for giving me the opportunity to, to ask you questions today. Um, and I think really to nicely complement the way in which I think we are often talking about polyvagal theory um, or, or applying it to our lives, um, this, it feels like a new perspective for us with that. Um, so thank you for taking the time to to go through Thanks, Blake. and it was it. fun to share it and um <laughs> and and play with it with you awesome all right thanks everyone thanks Serge. this is part of the active pause podcast to see more and subscribe to the newsletter go to activepause.com